Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day that you gave us. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to come together. Lord, to sing your praises, to worship your name, and to hear from your word. I pray, God, that our our attitudes would be such that we would leave different than when we came in this morning, that we would be responsive to your Holy Spirit as he moves among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully that's our prayer this morning. Whether we've been in church for any number of years or, or we just started coming, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. So we think back to our salvation. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcomed with open arms just as I am. It was great singing this morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to continue the sermon series that Pastor Ethan's been preaching from the book of Colossians. And so this morning, we will be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And we remember our theme verse, say it with me, Colossians 1, 16 through 18. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Amen. We're going to continue our Jesus First series, and we're in Jesus First Transformation Part 2. Last week, if you remember, Pastor Ethan talked about the things that as believers we need to put off or remove. And this week, we're going to look at some things that God tells us as believers we are to put on. First, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses starting in verse 12, says this, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... And then he gives a list. I think of that phrase, put on. And I I was thinking as I was preparing this message, and and all I could think about when I got to this phrase, put on, it's like a uniform. Hear me out. Does does anybody have to wear a uniform for work? Okay, so anybody who's in healthcare, I was was really, I, I was contemplating, Actually, I was contemplating texting you guys last night and asking you to wear scrubs today as, a, as an illustration. But I said I didn't want to embarrass anybody, and here I am embarrassing you. But someone actually came in scrubs today, which is perfect. So listen, people have to wear uniforms for work, right? And this is what I was thinking. So I even thought about texting my mom to see if she would show up in her Mount Snow gear. But then I was like, well, it's July. She probably doesn't want to have to wear snow pants and a winter coat. Although this morning, compared to this past couple of weeks, some of us probably thought about putting on a winter coat. But I think about a work uniform. I even thought about texting Cal, because he works for the parks. And I'm like, he's got to have a uniform that he wears. Do you have a uniform that you wear? That you wear? I, I, oh, I like last night, sitting at, what's that? And that would have worked because like, that's my dress code for you to be up here too. I was thinking uniform, and that's what I'm thinking. So 
for those of you, so I work in healthcare, and um, what I do is I, I actually I don't do this anymore, but I'm still in healthcare. My old job, which I just transitioned out, I sold medical devices that are used in surgery. And so my job required me to be in the operating room. And I was thinking, as I was preparing this, of a doctor. Because I, I, I work with a lot of doctors. And as I was thinking about a doctor, I'm thinking about all, all of the schooling that they go through. But there's this one ceremony that they get to sit through. And this ceremony didn't happen until the 90s. I think it was 1993 that it became officially the ceremony. Does anybody, and it's not graduation, does anybody know what ceremony I'm referring to? The white coat ceremony. And you, you may realize, or you may not realize, that not all doctors wear the same length coat. That's true. See, I'm validated. That's true. Residents wear coats only to their waist. Um, attending physicians, I believe, wear it down past their knees. And, and there's one other level in there somewhere. I don't remember what it is. But there's this ceremony, and it's, it's not really the culmination of their degree, but it, for them, it's a big deal. They, they go through their schooling, and they have this ceremony where their white coat is given to them. And if you walk in a hospital and you see someone walking with a, a white coat, typically, okay, it could be a lab technician, but not really. It's a doctor. That is what they wear. That's their you now. There is some controversy because they say it's not the most sterile thing to wear the same coat every day working with sick patients over and over and over again. But anyway, we'll leave that alone for now. But we understand when we see someone walking through the halls of a hospital with a white coat, that person is a doctor. That's more or less their uniform. They put on that coat. Putting on that coat, though, doesn't confer to them the title of medical doctor. They wear that coat because they are the medical doctor. Wearing scrubs. I wear scrubs for work. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. People ask me often, oh, are you a nurse? And I say, no, I'm not a nurse. And I, I'm just assuming they're puzzled as to why I'm wearing scrubs. Because wearing something doesn't necessarily confer, right? Like the doctor wearing the white coat doesn't necessarily mean that they're not wearing that, or they don't, they're not a doctor because they wear the white coat. You're not a nurse because you wear scrubs, and so on and so forth, right? But you, the doctor wears the white coat because they're a doctor. You understand where I'm, what I'm saying? They put it on because they're a doctor. We're going to talk about different things that God is telling us to put on in our lives today. And putting them on doesn't make us a Christian. It doesn't make us a believer. But we put these things on. We exhibit them. We practice them because we're a believer. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. I think that's up there. It's 1 Corinthians. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
right? This list of people who he says, they're not going to be in heaven. And we're like, wow. Of course, you're reading the next verse because it's already put up there. But we're like, wow, that's kind of like, who is going to be in heaven? Well, verse 11, and such were some of you. That's who you used to be, but you're, just, but you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Right? The way that we act doesn't necessarily make us who we are. We act the way that we are because of who we are. We're different now because of our relationship with Jesus. Life doesn't look the same as it did. And such were some of you in this room. That list, maybe you say, that was me. That was me before I put on Jesus Christ. Before I accepted Jesus as my Savior. But we're washed. We're sanctified. We're justified. Maybe you lived a life that was ungodly. A life that was anti-God. But then you experienced the overwhelming transformation of God's grace. We remember back to Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. Where we started in this, in this chapter. If ye then be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. If you're risen with Christ. Or since you're risen with Christ. Then seek the things that are above. And then we get to verse number 11 of, uh, verse number 12 of chapter 3. And it says, therefore, or then, put on these things. But before we can get into the list of things that we have to put on, you can't get over these three words or these phrases. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you are the elect of God. You have eternal standing as a child of God that no man can ever take away. As the elect of God, we are chosen. Our position is secure in Christ. We have standing as God's child and nothing can take it away. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, that's who you are today. So put on, therefore, as the elect of God. And then he says in verse number 12, Holy and beloved. We're set apart for a life of service. And we're separated to godly living. That's where the put on comes in. And we're beloved. We're the object of God's affection. We're prized of all else. This word beloved is the same as saying that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, his only begotten son, to die for them. This is how God views us. And because of that, because we are the elect of God, because we're holy, and because we're beloved, we are to put on these things. So what is it that we're to put on? Well, let's, let's go through the passage. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is God wants us to put on some Christian virtues that we need to exhibit. There are some Christian virtues that we need to exhibit. And we find these in verses 12 through 14. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. Not a, a phrase that's used too often. Bowels of mercies. What are we talking about? 
what are we talking about? Bowels of mercies. Well, let's, we'll break it down a little bit. We'll explain it. Bowels of mercies. We, we think of bowels, um, I think of them literally, again, because this may gross you out, but I, I, I work in surgery and I see people's bowels inside their bodies, like on a daily basis. It's kind of gross, actually, if you think about it. So that's what I think about. But, but let's, let, let's bring everybody down so nobody like throws up or anything. We're talking about the deep feelings, right? It's the seed of emotion. It could also be, in other parts of the New Testament, it's translated having a heart of compassion, right? I mean, let's think about it. When we fall in love, remember falling in love? <laughs> you get butterflies in your stomach, right? Hopefully. Not, you know, like I remember, I remember when, when uh, me and Kristen first started dating, right? All those years ago, it's been like 15 years now, we started dating. And I remember getting those butterflies in my stomach. And uh, sometimes I still get butterflies in my stomach when I see her. She's pretty great. When we're nervous or anxious, we get sick to our stomach. It's easy to understand why people would say, yeah, that's our seat of emotion. Our gut is our seat of emotion. We tell people today, trust your gut. It's deep. So, so bowels of mercies, we're talking about deep feelings about someone's difficulty or misfortune. But it's also used as the deep feelings that Jesus has for us. There's the passage of scripture that says, when he, that's Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Seeing that they were a sheep with no shepherd. We're to exhibit deep feelings about other people's difficulty or misfortune. We're to have a heart of compassion. To see those around us in need and for that to affect us as true believers in Christ. We're to have bowels of mercies. A heart of compassion. Secondly, he goes on in verse 12. Not only are we to put on bowels of mercies, but we're to put on kindness. I'm reminded of Galatians 5.22. And we'll, we'll refer back to Galatians 5.22 a couple of other times today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, goodness. Oh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. This word kindness, it means to be kind towards someone with good intentions. It's a spirit-led goodness that avoids human cruelty. Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I think back, I think of, of my kids. And a lot of times we're, we're telling our kids do something to one another, and it's not very kind. And we ask them, was that kind for you to do? But we should be asking that to ourselves when communicating and living with brothers and sisters in Christ, is what I did, what I said, the way that I act, is that kind? Meeting real needs. There's no actual English word to carry out the, mo the notion behind this. But it's a spirit-led goodness. He goes on, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind. Humility of ourselves, not looking at ourselves as, as bigger than we ought to be, 
Humility of mind. He says meekness. Put on meekness. That's strength and gentleness. Meekness avoids unnecessary harshness, yet without compromising or being too slow to use necessary force. Meekness avoids unnecessary harshness, yet without compromising or being too slow to use necessary force. Someone once said that it could be defined as strength under control. To be meek. Galatians 5.23, we see that it's, one of the, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. It's never humanly accomplished. You understand all of these things that we're talking about. It's not, we can't accomplish it in our own strength and our own power. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God's help. To accomplish these things. We can never have a heart of compassion without God's help. We can never be kind enough with, without God's help. We can never be meek or be humble enough without God's help. We need the Holy Spirit's control. We need his leading in our life. Verse 12 goes on. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, Long-suffering. We often use the word patience when talking about long-suffering, and that's true. Um, but it could, we could just look at the word itself, suffering long. Suffering long. Endurance. It's a patience that's only produced from the Lord. Have you noticed people... Can irritate you? If you don't think so, maybe you're the one that's irritating to other people. We all are irritating to other people. It's human nature. If you've been married for any length of time, you know that people are, have lots of head shaking. People can be irritating. That's what you have to look forward to, guys. People can be irritating. And then it gets worse because you're married to the person and you know what irritates them. And so you purposely do it because we're immature people. I'm not the only one, right? Like, I'm not the only one. Okay, I'm getting some looks like I might be. Just the most. That's, that's fair. That's fair. People can irritate. But we're not just talking about, you know, a lot of times... In, in the marriage relationship, it's, it's playful irritation with each other, and, and, and sometimes it's not, and that's something you should work on. Um, I, we should work, I should work on. <laughs> sometimes it's not. But, but, but we understand what this word means, right? But he says long-suffering, and then in verse 13, this phrase goes under the long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any. As Christians, we're going to talk about unity in, in a few minutes, but as Christians, we often have differences of opinions, and sometimes those can actually build up, and they can become quarrels, and that, that word quarrel means complaint. They can become complaints against somebody, but what Paul is warning us here, he's saying, he's saying listen, 
you need to have long-suffering, you need to forbear or hold up your brother or sister. You need to forgive because God forgave you. And when we think about the debt that God forgave of us, there's really nothing that we can't forgive. And I understand there are serious hurts and there are serious difficulties that we go through. But when we think about the debt that God forgave us, there's nothing we can't forgive. Practically speaking, on a human relationship, forgiveness does not always mean restoring relationships. But what it is is saying, I don't, I don't allow you to have any more power over me. Remember the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Thinking he was giving a lot of times. He said seven times? And Jesus said, I, I say not unto you seven times, but 70 times seven. And, and the purpose isn't to get to the 490th time and stop forgiving. The purpose is that there's no limit to our forgiveness because there's no limit to God's forgiveness. In verse 13, Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And then verse 14, above all these things, put on charity. Above all these things, love. The most important virtue to exhibit for the believer is love. The most important thing that we need to put on is love. When we truly love God and then love people the way that God wants us to love, then we will exhibit a heart of compassion we will exhibit kindness, we'll exhibit humility, we'll exhibit long-suffering. Above all these things, put on charity. 1 Corinthians 13 also reminds us that love is of most importance. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, though I have the gift of prophecy, though I have enough faith to move mountains, if I don't have charity, I am nothing. It is love that binds us. It's the bond of perfectness. It's love that binds us and perfects or completes us. All of these things, bowels of mercy, heart of compassion, kindness, temperance, uh, meekness, gentleness, long-suffering, all of these things can only be accomplished through a heart of love. We've seen Christian values to exhibit. Secondly, there are Christ-like attitudes that we need to practice. Christ-like attitudes that we need to practice. Look with me at verse number 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you're also called in one body, and be thankful. First, we, the attitude that we need to practice is we see the peace of God. As Christians, we talk about having peace often. We talk about the peace of God, but what does it mean? Well, it could be said that it's a rest, it's a quietness, or it's a wholeness that can only come from Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, not as the world giveth. But this word from peace used in this, this word for peace used in this context means 
a peace or a rest from conflict. Like when there's war going on and then there's a peace deal that struck, there is rest from that war. That is, the, that is what's being used here, rest from conflict. He's talking to believers. He's talking to a, a church in Colossae saying that you need to practice having the peace of God. We need God's peace to rule in us because we're called to unity. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you're called in one body. We, as, as a family of God, as a local assembly, a church, we shouldn't have conflict. We shouldn't have infighting. The world shouldn't be able to look at us from the outside and see us fighting over our preferences. Everybody has opinions, right? Everybody has an opinion about sometimes everything, okay? And that's okay. Everybody has opinions. Everybody has, has, has the way that they want to do things. And that's fine. That's fine. And everyone's opinions don't always agree, okay? I, it's like when you're trying to find a place to eat, like you're in a relationship and you're talking like, and the wife says, it's always the wife says, I don't care where we go. But really what they mean is I care very deeply about where we go to eat and what we eat. I love my wife so much and she never wants to go out to eat. So it makes it really easy. But we understand what I'm saying. We can't even like, have unity over where we want to eat meals, right? So, so we understand that people struggle with getting along. People struggle with having unity. But people from the outside should never look in and see infighting and conflict that's going on in a church. It's a bad testimony to the world. We are called to have peace, but not just to have peace, but to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. To allow it to rule in our hearts. Now, our, our, I'm, I'm talking about minor things, right? I'm not talking about doctrines, right? There's a need to take a stand for the truth. There's a need to take a stand on doctrine. There's a need to take a stand on biblical truth and to speak up when error is being preached. But what I'm talking about are minor preferences. And I'm not saying that this is an issue, but the passage is talking about it. So we're going to talk about it. Our goal is to not quarrel over minor things. We can be a church that constantly fights or we can be a church that goes out and fills the Great Commission. We can be a church that invites other people in and we see people come to Jesus Christ. God tells us to live in peace and unity with one another. To let it rule in our hearts. That means when Fighting, conflict starts. We remember, no, God's peace rules in me. We put it down immediately. We give up some of our own preferences for somebody else. But it's not just the attitude of peace that we practice. But it's the attitude of thankfulness. The end of verse number 15. And be ye thankful. This is specifically talking about being thankful for the grace of God in our lives, for God's grace. And when we think about it, God's grace has done so much for us. 
He rescued us from an eternity in the lake of fire. He allows us to be called his sons and daughters. Truly, his grace is amazing. It saved us when we were his enemy. And it's because of his grace that we can now, as the elect of God, we can say that we are the elect of God. We are holy and beloved. Are we practicing thankfulness for the grace of God? So as we continue, we've seen certain, uh, certain virtues to exhibit. We've seen certain attitudes to practice. Thirdly, we're going to see that we need to allow Scripture to transform us and song to counsel us. These two things go together in verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The only way that God's word can dwell in you richly or abundantly is if you make the Bible a priority in your life. I'm constantly with, with the teenagers, constantly reminding them, like every time we meet, make sure you read your Bible every day, make sure you pray every day. And it's, these are Christian habits that we need to develop, but it's so much more than doing them because we need to make them a habit. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or abundantly. When we allow Christ's word to dwell in us, when we're tempted to sin, God brings up his word and it helps us to overcome temptation. Your Christian walk cannot, uh, cannot thrive and it can't even survive long term if all of your Bible reading happens on Sunday morning at church. It can't. Job tells us, that he has esteemed the word of God more necessary than his daily food. Our Christian walks cannot continue to go on and for us to grow in faith if we're not in God's word daily. Where are the Christians who are making hearing from God their priority? You might say, I just don't have time. But truthfully, we make, we make time for the things that we want to make time for. Don't say I don't have time when you spend hours on social media and hours in front of the television. What your actions are really saying isn't I don't have time, but it's really just not a priority to me. It's not important. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect Truly furnished unto all good works. Scripture reading needs to be part of your daily life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you abundantly or richly in all wisdom. It can't affect us, though, if we don't even allow it in. It can't affect us if we don't allow it in. If we don't have time, then we need to rearrange our priorities. We need to rearrange our priorities. And I'm not saying that we need to start off by, like, maybe you don't read the Bible at all. I'm not saying you, don't need to, you need to start off by, like, going to Leviticus and starting to read through Leviticus or reading an entire chapter at a time. But what I am saying is you need to start somewhere. You need to start somewhere. And there are, today, there are more ways than ever before to get you in, in 
involved in a Bible reading plan. I, I, every so often, I, um, I read through, I don't do this every year, but I read through the Bible in a year. And a lot of the times, because of the fact that I, I drive a lot, I like to listen to it. And I like to listen to it. Um, I often get very distracted when I read. And, and um, listening to it when I'm doing nothing else, like driving to work, um, actually, it, it, it helps me to, to internalize it better. And so I have my, typically I have my, um, my process in the morning where I get up, I get ready for work, and I start, as I'm getting ready for work, I start having the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, you need to get you version the Bible app. I start allowing the Bible app to, to read to me my, my Bible plan for the day because you version has through the Bible in a year. And the one that I'm doing now is, is connected with um, the Bible project, which puts out all these videos for like helping to understand different phrases and different, um, maybe you've always been struggled like, why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, there are different videos to explain that as well. So, so anyway, I, I, I start to listen to it as I get ready for my day. The house is quiet. Nobody's up with me. And um, then I get into my car and I continue listening to it. And it's been, this year, um, it's been really good. Now, I'm probably not going to do the Bible through a year. Next year, I'll, I'll do a different plan. And my, 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 um, now my, my routine, I'm saying routine over and over again because it's important to get into routine. My routine now is, having to change because I'm starting to work from home. So it's kind of changing things up a little bit. But that being said, you need to have a routine. You need to have a time where you get alone with God in your Bible, where you allow God to speak to you through his word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you need help on, on starting, talk to somebody. There, talk, to, talk to me, talk to Pastor Ethan, Pastor Eric. We can help you. We can point you in the right direction. A good place to start for the first time is the book of John. Reading God's word needs to be made priority in our life. His word should dwell in us abundantly. When we allow the word of God to dwell in us, it instructs us. And then we instruct, encourage, and counsel one another in song. That's what the verse says. Verse number 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This isn't just for the Sunday gathering. A lot of times Adam will send me a, a song that he wants to sing, and a lot of times I say no, but I listen to the song, and <laughs> we, we send each other music back and forth, but that's an example of, we're not legitimately, like in that instance, singing to one another, but we're sending someone a, a Christian song, right? That's a way to encourage someone. I, there was a, one of the um, benefits, you know, so like we always talk about needing to be a witness with your job, right? And it's easy for a pastor to say because their job is to be a witness. But, but that being said, all of your pastors at this church work a secular job or have worked a secular job at some point or another. So we literally have, like we say, be a witness at your job, be a witness at your job. And then we literally have to, okay, well, we have to do that as well. And, and so there are obviously, as you know, in your, work, in your work field, there are ways that you can be a witness um, appropriately. And 
So there are certain doctors that know that I've worked with for seven years that know that I'm a believer, and, and some of them know I'm a pastor. And this past year, one of these doctors reached out to me. And randomly, he said, hey, I, I'm calling you not as a... He, we talk quite a bit, actually, about work, about uh, current events. But he called me and said, I'm not calling you for work today. I'm calling you for spiritual reasons. And it kind of like blew me away because it's the first time in seven years that it's ever happened to me. And he had just been diagnosed with cancer. Now, this is a doctor who knows how to treat cancer because he treats cancer all the, on a daily basis for people. He knew his outcome was not, it wasn't bad actually. His out, and he's, he's really doing well now. But he called me and asked if I would pray with him and if I would pray for him. And so we prayed. After we prayed, we, we talked for a little bit. We hung up. I was at, it, was the, it was the end of the day. It was like 5.30, so not really the end of the day, but it was 5.30, and I'm mowing my lawn, and I'm listening. I always listen to the same, my, my same playlist when I mow the lawn. It's like it's 12 hours of music, so I don't ever listen to the same song. Well, sometimes I do. I repeat them on purpose, but I'm listening to my playlist, and this song came on by City of Light. We sing a lot of their songs. And um, the name of the song that came on, um, and I'm drawing a blank right now. The name of the song that came on, it's a really good one. What's that? No, nope. It's one that we don't sing here yet. Um, <laughs> Cal's laughing. He knows it's coming at some point. Um, there is hope. The song is called There is Hope. Um, and it just talks about the hope that we have because of Jesus. And I sent him the song. And a couple hours later, he, he texted me and thanked me. But that's an example. Like, sending someone a song, you don't know. Like, in his instance, I knew what he was going through. But you don't know what someone's going through. And on Sunday mornings, when we're here in church, yes, we're singing to God. And we're going to talk about that. Because the end of the verse is singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We're singing to God, ultimately. But we're singing to one another. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you lift up your... I'm, I'm so thankful for a good singing church. I was talking about this yesterday with, with uh, some of the guys that were here. Travis was here. and We're talking about... a. We have a good singing church. People lift up their voices and sing. Whether they're the little kids or are Christians who have been saved longer than I've been alive. We have a great singing church. When we lift up our voices in the congregation, we're singing to one another. We're singing to one another. You don't know what the person next to you is going through. You don't know that they may be dealing with the loss of a loved one or an illness of a loved one, but you... Sing out, it is well. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. And yes, ultimately, you're singing it to God, but you're singing it to the person next to you. Or you sing, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. Oh, sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal. 
you don't know that someone might be dealing with difficulties at work or struggles in a relationship, we can sing, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Or we won't fear the battle, we won't fear the night. We will walk the valley with you by. It's like we will face the battle with you. Same thing. We will walk the valley with you by our side. Sing with joy now. Our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Or like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Maybe someone in the congregation is struggling to overcome sin, and we can sing, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Or we can sing, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. People were made to enjoy music. It's rare to find someone who doesn't enjoy music. At my house, you'll, you'll always hear, most of the time, some sort of music playing, any variety. You'll hear my child. My child, Eli, like, Eli is the, every pastor has the kid that they use in illustrations. Eli is just that kid. So you can come into my house and you can hear him screaming, Nothing but the blood of Jesus, just screaming, singing that song. It's his favorite song of all time. Or we were at my parents' house yesterday, and he goes up to Granny, and he says, Stop in the name of love by the Supremes. I mean, you'll hear anything from my kids. So, like, my, my dad used to sing that to my mom when we were kids, and it was gross. And so I sing it to, I sing it in my house, because, you know, and Eli just picks it up and loves it, right? And, so, like, you'll hear any, or, or, now Eli, apparently, in nursery, I heard this the other day, actually, too, he makes up his own songs. He's going to be a songwriter. And they're all about how much he hates Satan. We don't really have too many songs about how we hate Satan, really. So, maybe, maybe that's a need in the church. But, like, people are made to, to sing. People are made to enjoy singing. And you can enjoy music from all different genres. This coming, uh, Chris and I are celebrating our 11th anniversary in the next couple weeks. And so this coming Saturday, she bought us tickets to go see John Williams at Tanglewood. And um, I'm like super excited about it. Like I love classical music. I love, I had to double check though, because like, I'm like, is this, she's like, it's John Williams. Now she could have thrown, she could have, there is another John Williams. You know, John Williams is like the famed film soundtrack producer, but there's another John Williams who's a classical guitarist. He's very good. Do you know him? He's very good. Um, which I would be okay with a classical guitar concert. I don't know if she would be. Um, but no, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it. But the list could go on and on. I, I truly, though, believe that as Christians, the majority of, our, of the music that we listen to should be Christian music. Because we know that music affects us. We know that the words affect us. And when they're, in, when they're in song, we internalize them better. So we're to sing psalms. 
songs directly out of Scripture. We are to sing hymns. These are songs that are about, uh, they're songs of praise about God. And we're to sing spiritual songs. These are songs not about God, but to Him. If you study the Greek behind these words, they're songs to God from a spirit-filled heart. They give testimony for what God has done. But we're not just singing to each other because ultimately we're singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. He is the only one worthy of our song. He is the only one worthy of our praise and our worship. He is the only one who, as we sing, is worthy of it all. For from Him are all things, and to Him are all things. He alone deserves the glory. So we've seen today different virtues that we need to exhibit. We've seen different attitudes that we need to practice. We've seen that we need to allow Scripture to transform us and then counsel one another in song. And lastly, today, we're going to see our motivation to serve. Verse number 17 Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The verse doesn't say, if you do something, right? It says, whatever you do. The expectation is that, as a believer, you're involved in some sort of ministry. The expectation is that if you're a child of God, then you are surrendered to serving him. And I'm thankful for the many volunteers that we have in our church. We have people, uh, we have someone today in the nursery for the first time. We have people in our children's ministry programs who serve uh, faithfully Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, Sunday school teachers, junior church teachers. We have people who volunteer and serve on our music team. We have people who volunteer and do things that you'll never see. We have people who volunteer who come to clean the building. We have volunteers who prepare meals. We all enjoy those volunteers. We have many volunteers willing to invite kids to ride the bus to come to church. But if you haven't started working in a ministry, then you need to. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of what you do. It's not if you do something, do it in word or deed. It's whatever you do, whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the motivation is to do it for God's glory and giving him thanks that he's enabled you to minister. The proper motivation for serving is to bring glory to God. I, I'd rather work with someone who has little talent, but their entire goal is to honor and glorify God than to work with the most talented, insert whatever ministry you want, volunteer that, you, that, that there could be, who's just looking for the spotlight. I'd rather somebody sing to God out of a pure heart than out of bringing glory to themselves. I'd rather somebody working with kids because their desire is to see these kids to accept Jesus as their Savior and to grow in faith than somebody who is the best game maker and teacher that there ever is. And we're, I'm thankful that our church is fortunate to have volunteers like that. But if you, haven't, if you haven't found a ministry, then find one. We have plenty. We have some that you probably don't know about because we don't have anybody doing them. So we end with two questions. 
The first is we've talked about God's grace several times today. We've referred to the elect, the holy, and the beloved. But maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus. You've not received God's grace. You're trusting in something else. You're trusting in a work or a right that you've done. God is offering you his grace freely. As Ephesians 4.32 reminds us, it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Will you receive his grace today? All you have to do, the Bible says, is admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died and paid the penalty for your sin and that he rose again. And call upon him in faith to save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Secondly, are you living the life that God has called you to live as his elect? Holy and beloved. Are you putting on the attributes, the virtues that were listed? The attitudes, are you practicing those attitudes exhibited? Are you making God's word a priority and are you, is your motivation to bring glory to God? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as Cal's going to come up and play the, play the piano. We'd like to take a moment for you to think about what we've talked about. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, today is the day, now is the time. Admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for your sin. Call on him in faith to save you. You can do that right where you're sitting. Maybe you're watching our recorded service live stream now or recorded service later on. If you make that decision today, let us know. Send us a message on Facebook. If you've made that decision today here in this building, let us know after church. We'd like to pray for you and help you to grow in your faith. But for those of us who are believers already, have you put on these things? It is not something that you put on and it's there. You put them on every day. Allowing Christ's love to live through you. Motivated to serve God because of who he is. Take a few minutes to pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that in whatever it is in our daily lives, that everything we do is to honor and glorify you, Lord. I pray that you'll help us to be an encouragement to those in our church and those in our community and to be a witness of you, Lord. I pray that we exemplify your love and I pray that you help us to remember that this week. We ask this in your name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.